Welcome to SaaS Talks from Lead to Close, where I'll be sharing with you everything that I've learned to close leads. I went from quitting my first sales job because I was too scared to talk to strangers to becoming a VP of sales for multiple tech startups where I built a sales team from scratch and led them to an acquisition. I'll teach you how to schedule more demos on your calendars, close at least 50% of your demos, and build a pipeline large enough so you're always hitting quota. If you're looking to scale, then turn the volume up. Hey, everyone. So I have a special guest today, Doug Landis, who is the growth partner at Emergent Capital. Uh, Doug also used to be the VP of sales of productivity at Box and then was the chief storyteller at Box. So he's a fantastic storyteller. But in today's interview with, with Doug, I didn't interview him about storytelling. I actually interviewed him about closing more sales, but by reverse engineering discovery with existing customers, which is mind blowing, um, especially in 2023, given that a lot of salespeople and founders and CEOs and VPs of sales are trying to figure out how to build more pipeline in tough times where companies are contracting a little bit. So this is going to be a fantastic episode. I'll do the introduction separate to this, but let's just okay. jam out on this right now. Um, yeah, what we're talking, we're talking about uh, interviewing existing customers to under to uh, uh, to like reverse engineer how to sell to them. Well, so here's the thing. Right now, everybody knows your existing customers are almost next to your employee, employees that you're keeping in your organization are, are your most valuable asset, mm -hmm. arguably, right? And everyone's talking about, you know, look, if you're going to build a pipeline, go to your existing customers because if they're happy and successful, they're more likely to consume more, buy more, expand, et cetera, maybe early renew, whatever it may be. Um, there's a huge pool of revenue opportunity out of your existing customers. However, there's also something else that you can do with your existing customers that I think not enough people actually do. And, and you had mentioned it, like reps in particular, go interview them, talk to them. Because oftentimes we don't find out enough about what was that trigger moment, right? What was the moment where they're like, okay, I've got to have this now. Because every buyer goes through that exercise. They go through this like, well, okay, this seems interesting. I like our conversation. You seem to understand my business. You've done this before. I've got to weigh the risks of bringing this to the right people inside of my organization. I got to get comfortable with that. Um, once I go through that whole exercise and we're in, and if if I've made a decision and, and it's working, and I'm, it's, it's actually making me look good in the organization, I will happily share with you, how did we make the decision? Who got involved? You know, what were some of the, what were some of the, you know, the questions you had to get comfortable with to answer in order for us to move forward? Um, who were some of the naysayers? Like, wow, what gold would that be? Who, the, I think the problem is in an organization, everyone was always wondering, like, who does that? Like, who owns that? Yeah. Interviewing their customers. Do you think it should be the account executive that owned that initial relationship to close or it should be someone else in like growth marketing or whatever it is? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I hate this answer, but the reality is it kind of depends, right? So you could say it could be your CSM because they've got that trusted yep. advisor relationship because they drove, you know, implementation, adoption, integration, they're doing the handling, the renewal, et cetera. Um, it could also be the AE. I mean, whoever has the best relationship. I just think as an organization, we need to give our people permission to have these conversations. And when you give them a framework to follow, to have these conversations, because a lot of AEs, that's not, you know, 
that's not usually what they think about. They think about like, okay, I'm, I'm done with the deal. I hand it off to my ACSM. I'm out unless there's a commercial transaction that I want to get back involved in. Um, but what if we gave them permission to be like, hey, you know, at least once a week, pick a customer, have a conversation, extrapolate this data. Here's the framework. And let's get together and talk about what we're learning and use that to continue to prospect, to help reframe our marketing materials, maybe rethink who we should be targeting, right? Because right in, you know, in economic challenging environments, everyone starts automatically rethinking their ICP as they should. Um, and as a result, maybe they have to reorient who their buyers are. I mean, as, as we were talking about before, alluding to before, mm -hmm. guess what? There are new buyers now we all have to engage with. We got to engage with CFOs, likely for the first time ever, in many cases. And then CIOs are likely getting involved in decisions where maybe before it was down to the business, you know, the business leader. Yeah. Um, Two follow-ups for you. Um, yeah, one, shoot. you were, um, and I'm sure you, uh, if you remember, I sent you an email prior to this, uh, like when we when I first asked you to come on, on the show, I like to go like really tactical. And I know you were on 30 Minutes President's Club. And I know that yep. you love the tactical stuff, um, and so do I. Um, you mentioned something about a framework to follow, so I want to, and then so I'm, I'm going to mention what I want to talk about, and then we'll pick one and we'll run with it. So a framework Great. to follow is something I want to talk about, um, so AEs can tactically follow that. And the second thing is, from my like from my experience, CFOs don't really like to get on the call unless their job is on the line, them specifically, and they're very much involved, or it hits their department. Um, so how to handle that. So let's start with the first one, the framework to follow. AEs listening to this episode, like, all right, I need to build out new pipelines, self-source, new leads. Um, Doug and more are saying, hey, go to existing customers that you've closed and interview them so I can reverse engineer that and then now use their language and their mindset yes. to to pitch or email or cold call to new customers. What is the framework to follow? What would be a framework for that? Well, I mean, kind of spitballing here, if I were reaching out to a customer that first, you know, ideally what I'm really trying to understand is like, why did you buy? Right? So what in your words, by the way, it's really important. I want to know in their words, why did they buy? And what I'm specifically looking for is what I call the, 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 <laughs> the F yes, fuck yes moment, right? Yeah. So like there's a, there's a tipping point in a conversation as a buyer there's a, there's a point in my evaluation and I'm trying to figure out how to solve this problem and 18 other problems. And all of a sudden there's something happens. I'm like, okay, yeah, I've got to, I've got to, I've got to have this. What was that? Was that a conversation that you had with somebody internally? Was that um, when you realized how much value you could really deliver to the business, you personally, by bringing this solution to the table, was that because you, you finally understood financially what the implications were by sticking with what you were currently doing? What was that tipping point that got you as the buyer to say, oh shit, okay, yeah, we're going to make a decision on this. This now has been elevated into one of my top three priorities and we're making a decision. That's the kind of the core ethos of what I'm really trying to find out. But along with that, I also want to understand, well, who was involved, right? It's kind of similar. It's, it's almost like deconstructing what your sales process is, mm -hmm. arguably, with the person, right? Like, who was involved? Who were the people that were the proponents of this? And who were the, the naysayers, the ones that gave you the most pushback, the ones that you had to win over? Um, and how did you do that? Did they need an ROI model? Did they need a conversation from your boss? Did somebody else have to get involved to kind of push their opinion to the side? Um, you know, and then and then for me, one of the things I really like to, to anchor around is two things in particular. Like, okay, define in your words 
the value that we, you believe that we're delivering to your business. Because again, I want their words. I want their language. I want to use that in my conversations so I can say, hey, like, hey I was just talking to Moore yesterday. You know what Moore was telling me? You know, based on what's going on in his world, like he's getting this kind of value out of a solution like ours. Not saying it's necessarily because of us. It's a combination of things, right? Mm -hmm. I never like to say, like any, <laughs> by the way, just, sellers just have to recognize like, you're part of a, you're like a cog in a wheel. There's so many other factors that come into play. If your solution is adding a ton of value, it's like, yeah, it's your solution. You got buy-in, you got usage, you've got, you know, integra everything's integrated, data's flowing, you know, correctly. There's so many other things that are happening. Um, so I'm trying to get a, a picture of like, you know, what value means in their, in their words. Um, I also may want to evaluate like, well, what were your other, what were your other options? I know from our conversation that, you know, most likely sticking with what you were currently doing is probably the biggest competitor that I was facing with, but did you talk to other companies? And if so, why'd you, why'd you choose to go in, in one direction or the other? Um, and that's to me, the kind of like, and you could get all that in yeah. five minutes. Jen, Jen talks about the status quo. Like that's who you're competing against. Um, I talk about that too. That's why it, I said discovery is dead. Yeah. We went up, we had a nice little debate there. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting because what you're doing is essentially discovery. But the, 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 the difference is when you're doing discovery earlier on, typically compared to once they become a customer, the prospect's guard is way, way up. They're not sharing yep. this open information. They may not even know who's going to be the naysayers until it happens. Yes, totally. And totally. so in the this these this level of discovery is, is more valuable because in hindsight it's just more valuable. The first question you said, like, hey, why did you buy? Would you like if an A is like, all right, how do I ask the question? I just say, hey, prospect, like, why did you buy? What would be the words they would use to ask that question? Yeah. I mean, I would say, hey, more, what I really want to understand is like, why did you actually choose us? Why did you choose to solve this solution? Why did you choose to do it right now? Fundamentally, what a, what I'm really trying to get to is what was that tipping point because we talk i mean look my, my ethos and jen and i are on the same page about this whole status quo because i talk about it all the time but fundamentally what you're really trying to do in a business conversation because i don't like using the word discovery is get to like first question is like why would you ever want to change from what you're currently mm -hmm. doing okay so we got that like you're you've, you've chosen to change and we agree to that uh and, and then the next ethos is or the next piece is like well why do you want to do it right now that is, um, you know, it to me, there is a moment in time where all of a sudden they just go, aha, okay, this is something we really need to actually do sooner than rather than later. But what was that? Was it something that I said? Was it something that I shared? Was it something I delivered? Was it something that somebody said internally that they shared with you that we didn't have access to, right? Because look, why now is usually the driver of urgency, right? And your urgency is usually driven by the fact that they're, they realize that they're suffering some sort of loss, right? Or expect crazy expense. Mm -hmm. That's usually going to get people to take action versus like, let me paint a picture of what's possible by using our solution, right? right. All that what's possible shit people can't actually grasp onto, right? So usually it is some sort of significant impact to the business that they realize in a negative way that they realize like, oh, wow, I can't do that. Right? Perfect example. This is in real life terms. I have a leak in my roof. Like, I have to get the shit fixed because the leak in my roof has gone through the ceiling and it's dripping into our kitchen. And at the end of the day, every day that I wait, there's a potential for mold. And if I get mold, I'm screwed. 
becomes a way bigger issue. Yeah. Right. So there's a tipping point. I don't know what that is, but right now I'm freaked out because I don't know how many days it's been and I don't know how long it's been. Right. And so if somebody would come to me and be like, Hey, we're going to fix this for you. I'd be like, cool. First thing we got to do is find the leak. Like where's the actual yeah. real problem. Um, so, you know, back to the, you know, the, the conversation, by the way, one of the things you can do when you're interviewing a customer, be like, Hey, more, when we were talking, this is what you shared with me as far as like, why you feel like you're, you're you needed to do it now. Were we mm. right or wrong? Mm, that's a nice one. Right. So, cause look, we were talking about it. So I just want to go back to like, what, how off were we? And, and did we, did we miss something? Do you, two, two things, two follow-ups here. Uh, one, what you were saying about like the leak, the example of the, the roof leaking. I think uh, I had a, Josh Brown was on my episode, my, my podcast, and we were talking about jobs to be done. I don't know if you've heard that term. Yeah. That's, I mean, it's part of our investment theses. Oh, it's great. We always I, think about, we always think about the job to be done. Oh, it's, I, I love it. Always. I won't talk about it now because it's a whole other thing, but whoever is listening, <laughs> Google jobs to be done and you'll know what I'm talking about. It's extremely valuable. Um, and uh, so like, Let's say reps like, all right, now I have the the framework in place. Like I know what I'm going to make a list of like discovery questions 2.0 for existing customers. How do I approach the existing customers? Which customers do I approach? What would you, like my yeah. take is approach the ones that gave you a, a nine, a ten, eight, nine, ten on an NPS survey. And then those would be the easiest ones. For sure. For sure. Or approach the ones that you developed the best relationship with that you felt the most comfortable with that you, where you feel like there was real trust approach the ones that gave you their cell phone number. Mm. Right. Like that to me is somebody like you try, if you, I trust you so much, so much, so I'm going to give you my cell phone number. And I say like, Hey, call me if something comes up, we're in, like you can have that conversation. That was basically my sign of like, we can talk about virtually anything. Um, Cause cell phone numbers are, you know, yeah, I keep mine super close to my chest. Um, and you would Although just ask them it. like, "Hey, Doug, like, remember me? Um, the AE that helped you, blah blah blah." Yeah. Do you have a few minutes next week to chat. I just have a. I want to better understand something, or can I pick your brain on something? Would that be the language you'd use? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. I would just say, "Hey, listen, you know, I'm trying to better understand, um, why we continue to make people like yourself or companies like yours successful." I want, I'm, I'm trying to paint my own portrait of the value that we really deliver to our customers. And I feel like, you know, five, a five minute conversation could help me to uncover some more of those nuggets that one can also help you internally, because right now my hunch is every single technology decision is getting, uh, um, is getting looked at through a microscope, right? And so in many cases, decisions that you might've made six months ago there's question as to whether or not it makes sense for us to renew, right? So mm. by re by rethinking about this and reassessing why you made this decision and if it's really paying off for you, number one, it's going to help you to build the internal business case that you should keep the solution in place, right? And number two, it's going to help me kind of reframe my thinking and my narrative and my conversation with with other potential customers like yourself. There was something that you said there that I loved and I wrote it down because um, it could even be used in like a cold email, it was uh, every technology decision is being looked through a microscope. Like it has a very vivid explanation. Like I can literally see microscope and like I can picture it. Yeah, well, I'm like, I mean like, it's why CFOs are getting more involved in, in decisions nowadays. Like 
okay, is there a real business case here? Is it real? Is it realistic? Do we believe it? And are you willing to put your neck on the line? Yeah. Right. The CFO is now getting involved in that conversation where before it'd be like, yeah, okay, you've got a budget, manage it. But they're, do, you, do you find that they're, from what you're seeing in your portfolio companies and salespeople that you're speaking to, do you find that they're, they're getting involved, but it feels like they're getting involved behind the scenes? Of not, course. They're not yeah. really on the calls. Correct. Correct. And so it's interesting. So it's, it's, there's like two parts, right? So on, on the one hand, it's a different, I'm introducing a whole new audience, but CSMs, we've got to retrain CSMs on how to have conversations with their customers on how to build a business case internally to take to the CFO because the CFO is asking every single department head, why do you need, you know, like you pick, you cut 20%, pick your, pick the tools you're going to choose for the year. Right. And so if I am, you know, if I, if you're my CSM, let's just play this through. Right. And I'm internal and I'm like, Oh no, I've got to mm-hmm. made all these buying decisions as a sales leader. And now I'm being asked to cut 20% of it. Um, I'm going to go to my team my RevOps folks and be like, Hey, you decide. Well, I mean, it would be super helpful if you, as the CM, CSM, could help me build that business case or at least build it for me. Be like, hey, for when you get called up to the principal's office, i.e. the CFO, and they're asking you, here's what you can present to them as to why you want to keep the solution. Yeah. So, so to your point, yes, CFOs are way more involved in every decision um, today, but it's behind the scenes. I don't, I don't see CFOs getting on sales calls unless it's kind of a final negotiation and it's a small company, but they're all sitting behind the scenes. They're putting more pressure on their uh, business leaders. So it sounds like since they're they're more involved, but more so behind the scenes, and they will, they will only get involved on in the front lines once it's like the tail end of the deal, the only true way to, not the only way, but probably one of the best ways to sell to the CFO is to do what you just said, where you're building the use case for the VP of sales, whoever it is that leading the charge to take back to the CFO. That really is the only way to penetrate. Yes, yes. I mean, oftentimes we talk about like, oh, we've got to teach our champion how to sell our solution internally, Mm -hmm. right? Well, first of all, I hate champions. Champions are are just all big talkers. Um, I, I use a different word. I look for somebody that's more of a mobilizer because what a difference between a mobilizer and a champion is a champion, they've got a bunch of information that they're going to tell you. Awesome. Congratulations. A mobilizer actually has access and clout enough to pull the people together to have a real conversation so that we can identify, you know, how do we align on our priorities? Cause we all have 18 different priorities, right? And a mobilizer has the ability to actually pull everybody together. And if they call a meeting, they're all, everyone's going to show up. P.S. If you're still listening to this and you want to get better at discovery, demos, closing, and everything in between like multi-threading, negotiation, closing, then check out FDTC University, my on-demand sales training. The best part, students join in a few times every month for live sales coaching with me. So you're not alone. You're not just going through a course. You actually have a coach that helps you along the way. So if you feel like you're leaving money on the table and you want to level up your sales game, then check out the link to join FTTC University in the description below or visit demotoclose.com. Right? So you can can pressure test whether or not someone's a real mobile. Let's go. Let's call a meeting. See if everybody shows up. And if no one shows, well, then, all right, you don't really have the cloud. Now, the thing you have to understand about mobilizers is it's all about risk threshold, right? 
So it's going to get a mobilizer to actually want to take action because, you know, that's the thing. They can do it, but do they actually want to? Well, it depends. You got to, you got to really think about what's, what the risks are for them, right? If they pull everybody together, by the way, I've been in this position many times and two times it almost got me fired. As a mobilizer. As the mobilizer internally put my neck on the line. I brought everybody together months and months of research. I was basically selling on behalf of the company. In fact, it's my good friend, Andy Bryan over at Clary. Um, everyone was bought in. We're like, great. All sales leaders bought in. Finance was bought in. It was expensive. And then after like three months, we had like 20% usage. And, wow. and, and I was told, I was like, we're, yeah, we're, we're shutting this off. I was like, devastated. You're talking about like product totally adoption from the, from, the inter- from the team? 20% yeah. usage? Yeah. Yeah, it's brutal. Yeah, but, is that, but a, is, that, is that a product issue? That's just more of like a team commitment issue, don't you think? It, 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 was, a combination of, it was a combination of things. Um, it was, we, there were some things that we missed. I think we made a bunch of assumptions. Um, the data inside of Clary is remarkable. And in fact, it actually helped Clary to pivot to what they are today. Um, they were at the time kind of like an opportunity management platform with incredible reporting and analytics. And what I found was as a result of our usage, what the usage was everyone was using it to update their Salesforce to get ready for their forecast call. That was it. <laughs> no one was using it, you know, like to manage their opportunities out in the field and all that. No one's doing that. It was just like, oh shit, I got a forecast call and I'm in you know, my car. I'm going to update my forecast and boom, I'm in my call. And it had incredible, you know, reporting and analytics. And, and so it was easy, but we missed that because what it required people to do is leave Salesforce to go do, you know, to go do their, you know, their account activities in a totally different system. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And reps, reps don't like to do that. We missed it. Wow. I missed um, it. Well, I could talk for hours with you on this, but I have, <laughs> I have, a, I have a feeling we're probably gonna do a part two because we're, we're at time. So what I want to do is um, allow you to plug yourself in. And then I, I'm, I'm saying this like genuinely, I don't say this often on podcasts is I said, this is Jen. So that's why I'm saying it generally, we're going to probably do a part two. And I'm, I'm really interested in, in uh, teaching folks, like how do you identify a mobilizer and a champion and what are like tactics actually do that? Um, But yeah, Um, any, anywhere someone can find you, this is your time. This is your time to shine. I mean, my, (laughs) you can always (laughs) find me. I'm just Doug at MCAP.com. I've got an early stage (laughs) software company that's SaaS focused and, you want to build an iconic software company, uh, reach out to me. Um, but no, I basically live on LinkedIn. I'm not a Twitterer. I'm not a, you know, so my social vehicle is LinkedIn and that's where I like to have interesting cool. conversations. That's where I live nice. at Doug Landis. Alrighty. Awesome. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you found this relevant or practical at all, then please share this episode until next time. I'm your host, more Asuline.